We're praying here uh, about moving to two services quickly. We just need to plan a few things out, but uh, we want to create more space for the people that the Lord would send in. And so if you're new, we just want to thank you for coming and, and tell you that, guess what, just keep on coming. It won't always be this packed. We'll create some more space for you. But thanks for being here this morning. I think, uh, you know, as a church, we're, like, like, like we said on the announcements there, we're, we're three weeks into this, this season we've called Consecrate. And we've all sort of entered into like a, a, a season where we're setting some things aside to God. Many of us in different ways have entered into a season of prayer and fasting. And I've spoken with several people this week. Jeremy and I have talked about how every time, I don't know if you've experienced this. Like I, I know Jesus has saved my soul. I know he's transformed my life. And I just, I'll just be honest with you. When I die, I, I got an assurance that I'm going to be with Jesus. I have that assurance because it's not based on what I've done. It's based upon what he's done for me on the cross. And I have faith in that work. But here's something else that I know about Jesus is that he's constantly calling me into something greater. Like he's constantly calling me deeper. And when I consecrate my life afresh to him, when I give him more of myself as we've been singing this morning, and I, and I enter into prayer and fasting and seeking his face, it just so happens that I begin to see God move in people's lives in greater measure. I begin to see God work in greater measure. Even these past two weeks, people have come to me and said, Clay, I'm laying this thing down. God has spoken to my heart. Clay, God has touched my life and set me free from something that I've been dealing with for decades. Amen. So we believe that God is on the move, that He's working, that He's saving, that He's setting people free. And that's what we want to continue to pray into. So this morning um, in 1 Thessalonians 5 is where I'm going to start. And I want to finish out this sermon series on consecrate, which is a nice little Bible word that we'll open up a little bit more for you here. But I want to talk about spirit, soul, and body. And here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. I love that. Let's read it one more time. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Let's pray over this word. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, for your presence that's here this morning. And God, we, just, we hear your spirit calling us to give everything. And so this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us by your grace to say, God, we give everything to you, our bodies, our souls, our spirits. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and bring life to your word. And Lord, plant it into our hearts that we could be transformed by it this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You know, God is, God's good. God's merciful to us. You, you, you all ever realize that? When I think about where God has brought me from, all the mess that I've been in, and really all the mess that I'm still in a lot of time. I mean, yesterday me and Andre went to Monkey Joe's with some friends, and I tell you, the flesh came up. I don't know if you, anybody in here ever been to Monkey Joe's. You got like 10,000 kids running everywhere. I, I entered into a place of the flesh. You know what I'm saying? I got scared to death. There was, like, there was rage and all kinds of things that started to come up that had never even been up before. I was like, what's going on? There was fear and anxiety and all kinds of things going on. I said, Lord, I thought I was a man of the Spirit. 
and I was looking for a parking spot. I about killed somebody in the parking spot. I mean, so I'm still dealing with some stuff, y'all. You realize that, right? I thank God that when God decided to save me, he didn't base it upon how good of a man I was. He based it upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I come and I lay myself down at that regularly to say, God, I'm not worthy to stand up and preach. I'm not, I'm not worthy to do any of these things. But it's only by your blood, only by your mercy, and only by your grace that I can stand in any shape, form, or fashion. And I'm relying on you to do a work in me on a consistent basis. But the thing about it is, as good as God is, as merciful as He is to us, I want you to understand that when God decided to save your soul, He didn't just simply want to keep you from an eternal destiny away from Him. He intended on transforming your life spirit, soul, and body, so that the end goal of your life was that you became like Jesus Christ, His Son. He wants to conform you into the image of Jesus. It's not just a ticket where you get to go to heaven when you die. It's something where in the here and now, He's transforming who you are to make you more like Christ. And so He's constantly, even if we've been saved, if you've been saved 20 years, I'm telling you, God's got more for you. God has a calling on Christian's life this morning. And I need you to understand that God has a calling and a purpose for every Christian. But most Christians aren't released into that calling and into that purpose because they've not yet entered into a life of consecration and discipline and discipleship where they have wholly given their lives to God and allowed Him to cut some things off of their lives in order to fully be filled with Him and used by Him. You say amen to that this morning. So God's saying, I know, I know, thank God that, that we're saved this morning. If you are saved, if you don't know Jesus, it's a, it's a very simple thing. But I'm telling you this morning that God has more for all of us. And he doesn't simply want to say, hey, you're saved, you get to go to heaven when you die. But he wants to sanctify us. That's a big word, isn't it? Y'all ever heard that word sanctify? Let me give you a couple of Bibleese words here this morning. Sanctification, that scripture we read, it says that he wants to sanctify us completely. Spirit, soul, and body. Now, sanctification is the process by which God and His Holy Spirit is in you, transforming you day by day through His Word, through fellowship, through worship, through His Spirit, when you're in relationship with Him, and even through the trials of your life, through the hardships, through the temptations and sin. He's using all of those things so that you will seek God, seek His face, and He transforms you into the image of Jesus. He makes you holy. He makes you more like Himself. That's the process of sanctification. And this is why salvation is not something that you say at a prayer, as a prayer one time at an altar. Salvation is an ongoing journey. God saves you from the penalty of sin. He is saving you from the power of sin. And one day you'll see Jesus face to face and He'll save you from the presence of sin. And so we're on this journey where salvation ultimately is fulfilled when Jesus returns. And on this journey, God is looking to transform our lives. He wants to do a deeper work within us. We've talked a lot about consecration. And let me say this to you. Consecration is the human side of sanctification. God's the one that calls you. He's the one that saves you. He's the only one that can transform you. You're not going to come in here and me tell you, you guys need to quit drinking, cussing, chewing, smoking. Like, I can say all that stuff. You could go out and try as hard as you want to without the help of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit. You ain't changing nothing. 
God's the one who changes us. God's the one who sanctifies us. But it's our part, our participation is to consecrate ourselves and say, God, I'm giving myself to you completely, spirit, soul, and body. And when we give our lives to him, that's when the spirit is able to work in a greater measure. Now, I don't know if it's like this in your home, but uh, at my house, this happens a lot. Like Andrea will go to the grocery store and she'll say, now, Clay, you see this cereal? This ain't yours. You ain't, hey, these right here, these ain't yours, Clay. This white chocolate, this ain't, anybody get that at their house? I mean, even this morning I went in the bathroom, she said, Clay, I got some bomb skincare products right here, and these ain't for you. I'm like, what am I going to do using skincare products anyway? Um, anyway, maybe I need a little skincare, I don't know. Point being is she sets some things apart for her use only. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you women do that? You got some things set apart? It's just for my use only. You ain't eating my cinnamon toast crunch. You know what I'm saying? Well, let me tell you something about God. He's that same way with you and I. He's that same way with you and I because when he saves us, he marks us with his blood and he sets us apart and he says, this is for my use only. I don't want the world to contaminate this. I don't want it to be defiled by the flesh. I want this person, spirit, soul, and body, I want to do a work in them by my spirit where they offer themselves to me and I'm completely working in their lives so that they become a vessel for my use and my use alone. And we've been singing it all morning. Lord, I open up my heart to you. I want to give you everything. You can have it all. And this is what consecration is where we say, God, I want you to have every part of my being, spirit, soul, and body, so that you will use me for your glory. And let me tell you something. Consecration is the point where you offer yourself to God in such a way that it literally invites the supernatural into your life. It invites the power of God to work in you in a way like never before. Even this Wednesday when we meet, you know, we, we, we leave the mic open. We take a big risk because we believe that people can hear from God and give words. And we get spe specific words for people that call people out directly and specifically from heaven. And it's a call to them to let them know that God's eye is upon them, that He wants you, that He wants your life. And He knows that you're dealing with anger. He knows that you're dealing with suicidal thoughts. He knows your depression. He knows the condition of your heart. He wants to set you free from those things because He loves you and He wants to use you in a way that you could never even imagine and see this is what God is calling all of us into in Joshua 3 you remember he said consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you the greatest miracles I've ever seen in people's lives and in my life as well is when when someone has decided I'm done with this I'm done with that I'm giving it all to you Lord see we flirt with so many things and we allow ourselves to be contaminated with so many things and we want God on our conditions, right? I told them this morning, you know, they, they said, you care if we sing a little bit extra? I said, I don't care if you sing two hours. The clock is not the Lord of this building. The clock's not the Lord of this building. The Spirit of God is. And people say, well, Clay, it's just, it's just not, it's not good for the church or, or church growth. Listen, you can grow a church and not grow people. What I want is not a bunch of butts in the seat. What I want is people who know God intimately and the Spirit of God is using them. That's what I want. I want people who know Jesus beyond a shadow of a doubt. They've been set free from their sin. They have an intimacy with God where when they go home, it's not just something they do on Sunday morning. They want holiness in the privacy of their own home. They want to know God intimately. And this is what he's bringing us into, C.W. Ruth. I'm going to let some old dudes help me preach this morning. C.W. Ruth, he said this. He said, real consecration includes all we have and all we ever will have. 
all we are and all we ever will be. All we know and all we ever will know for time and eternity. And it is a pledge of an eternal yes to the will of God. I love that. To give God my eternal yes. God, no matter what you write in your word, no matter what you speak to me personally, I've already decided it's a yes. If God asks me to do it, no matter how bad it hurts, no matter how much my flesh resists it, I've already given him an eternal yes. And he says, give yourself wholly to God in all things. If you would have God, give himself to you. Now I want you to understand based on this scripture, he says God wants to sanctify you completely, spirit, soul, and body, so that it will be kept blameless at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ when he, when he returns. And so scripture teaches that, that you are a three-part being. And do you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says. Would you put that next slide up? That next slide just sort of gives you an idea. Now, you're a three-part being just like the temple in the Old Covenant, if you remember. In the Old Covenant, they had a temple, and it had an outer court, it had an inner court, and it had a holy of holies. You are the New Testament temple of God where the glory of God dwells. God has decided that He doesn't want to dwell any longer in a building. He, ha he doesn't just want to dwell in a particular place or location. He wants to live in the human heart. In the spirit of man is where the glory of God desires to dwell. And He says you are a three-part being just like the temple. You have a body, the outer court. You have a soul, the inner court. And you have a holy of holies, the spirit, where the Holy Spirit desires to dwell. Now when we talk about body, soul, and spirit, if you put this next slide up, I want you to understand a few things about how you are made up. Now, your body is the part of you that's world consciousness. Like, you come in here this morning and through your eyes and your sense of, uh, of touch and your sense of taste and your sense of smell, you're conscious of the world around you. And not only that, you receive information from the world around you through your body. It's how you are expressed in the world around you. People get to know you because they look at your face. They see your body. And, and your soul expresses itself. Your personality expresses itself through your body. And Scripture teaches us that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Amen. That our bodies we're supposed to bring to God and say, God, this, this I offer to you and I present my members to you. Our soul is our personality. It's our mind. It's our thoughts, our will, and our emotion. And this is really where our identity is formed. This is where you would say, this is who I am. This is what I feel. This is how I think. And it is expressed through your body. The, the Greek word for soul is psyche, right? And the scripture says that we are to deny ourselves. We are to renew our mind. We are to submit our feelings and emotions to the Spirit of God. Amen? Y'all still tracking with me? Then lastly, our spirits, the innermost part of our being. Let me tell you something. The innermost part of our being, what happens in our spirits is it's our God consciousness. Every day you wake up, if you're a Christian, there's a part of you that desires God, desires communion with God, desires the Word, desires prayer. But then there's another part of you called the flesh, and that is the body and the mind cut off from God. It's the sin nature. And that part of you doesn't want no God. And you feel that. Y'all ever felt that battle in the morning? Like my flesh is over here wanting coffee. My spirit's over here wanting prayer. And a lot of times, I got to be honest with you, the flesh wins out sometimes. And I got to recenter myself back into that place where I'm seeking God. And there is a battle internally because that spirit needs to grow and grow in strength so that we can have intimate communion and connection with God and learn to live from the place of the spirit. This is the part of us that is God conscious. And this is why scripture says, those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. 
So let me show you this, and this is, this is quite interesting because here's the issue. In Ephesians 2, it says this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked. Now, everybody said, I, I used to live in sin. I, I, I used to live in serious sin. I still struggle at times, but I used to live in blatant, serious sin without any remorse, any repentance. And he says that I was dead in those sins and trespasses. Well, which part of me was dead? Because I was still living and breathing physically. The part of me that was dead was my spirit. And this is why when God gets a hold of our lives, He comes in and He breathes new life into our spirits. And the scripture says we are born again and He possesses that spiritual part of me and breathes new life into me. And He says you used to walk in those sins, dead in your spirit. You used to follow the course of this world and you followed the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. And he is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Notice what he says. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that's interesting, isn't it? We all used to walk with dead spirits going according to the course of this world, the, the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, working in the sons of disobedience. And he says, we were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and everything that the body and the mind wanted to do, we just went after it headlong. And that's what we chased. And he said, by nature, we were children of wrath just, like, just as the others. But what I love about this scripture is it goes on to say, but God, who is rich in mercy, and because of his great love with which he has loved us, he made us alive in Christ and raised us up with Christ and seated us in heavenly places with Christ. And it says, by grace you have been saved, and that not of yourself. So he saw you when you were dead in spirit, when you were cut off from God, when you have no chance for transformation, and he called you out walking according to the course of this world washed you in his blood and raised you up and gave you new life. Amen. Amen. But here's the problem. The issue is, is that I can be saved, and I don't know if y'all had this same issue, but I said the sinner's prayer about 3,000 times, and the 3,000th time that I said it, I didn't get no different than the 2,999th. Amen. Because when God saves a man, he doesn't just simply say, well, that's all good, praise God, you said a prayer, you pat on the back. He calls us into a lifestyle. He calls us into a devotion. He calls us into a relationship where we grow spiritually and we are transformed. But the world that we live in and Satan himself, the one thing Satan don't want you to have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's fine with you saying one prayer. He's fine with you saying I'm saved as long as you're not conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. As long as you're not transformed, as long as you're not changed. Matter of fact, I think Satan really likes it when people say a prayer and there's no transformation. I think he likes it when people say, man, I believe in Jesus, but they don't devote their hearts to, the, to him. And here's the thing, when God does a work in our hearts, we go after him. He draws us. The prayer that I've prayed so many times, I've said, Lord, no matter what I do, do not let me fall away from seeking you. Don't let me do it. No matter what I do, do something to wake me up. If I fall away from seeking your face, do something to wake me up. Ignite something in my spirit. Don't let me slide. Because God, I've got, I've got temptations just like everybody else. I've got struggles like everybody else. But don't let me slide. Because what I know is we live in a world that's constantly pushing us in one direction or the other. Constantly pulling at us in one direction or the other. And all of us face it day to day. And Satan himself, the prince of the power of the air, here's how he functions. He functions first and foremost, if you put the next one up, he functions through a world system that appeals to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
And he appeals first and foremost to your bodily appetites. Has y'all's bodies ever got you in trouble? Anybody amen me on that? Like anybody just get up and say, hey body, what are you saying today? What do you want? I'll tell you what your body wants. He wants food, he wants sex, he wants shelter, he wants comfort, and he wants it all in high doses. Somebody amen me this morning. That's what he wants. And so Satan appeals to us through our physical appetites. And once he has us enslaved to our physical appetites, he then gains control of our emotions and our thought life and our mind. And he tries to wire our thinking and our beliefs according to this world system and according to the desires of the world system until finally what he does is he shuts down our spirit from having communion with God. This is his goal. This is how he functions. This is how he operates. And many of us, we have no relationship with God. We're cut off from God. Why? Because all we really want to do is, to, is fulfill the desires of what our body feels and what our mind thinks and the world has told us that that's how you should live. You should live your own truth. What you feel, what you think, what feels good to you, what you think, all that. Like you should go after that headlong and, and, then, just, and then it's between you and God. No, 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 that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches you're to be born again by the Spirit. And here's how God functions. He regenerates your spirit. And He starts to speak into your little baby infant spirit whenever you get saved. And then from that place of communication with God, through His Word, your soul is renewed. Your wounds are healed. Your pers- I remember whenever I first got saved and God started dealing with my heart, so many of the things that I thought I was, He said, Clay, this ain't who you are. This is not your identity. All this stuff, all these things that you have thought who you are, this is not even who you really are. This is not your identity. And I thought all those things that I love so much was just who I am. I'm just always going to do this. I'm just always going to be like that. And God said, no, those are things that I've come to break off your life because those things should never label who you are. So he transforms who I am in my soul and my mind and even my will and my emotions are now submitted to the Spirit of God so that when I have a fit of rage come up, guess what? The Holy Spirit from within says, no, 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 no. Bring it back in, Clay. Y'all ever had that happen? We need a lot more of that, amen, right? Especially in parking lots. I know how it goes. And then finally, my body simply becomes a vessel in which the Spirit of God from within, who's dictating my emotions and my mind, exercises my will to say to my body, guess what, body? You don't tell me what to do. And this is why when we pray and we fast, we're basically telling our body that it's not in control, that we're fueling our spirits and we're denying our flesh in order to say we want to live according to what God says, and then ultimately we express the power of God into the world and we defeat Satan through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the order and the structure. But number one, in order for this to happen and us to experience victory over the demonic and victory over the world and to overcome the world, consecration is a total surrender of my body to God. It's a total surrender of my body to God. I wonder if you've surrendered your body to God. I wonder if you've given that to Him as as His vessel, something that He wants to possess and indwell. I remember whenever I was... uh, in college, I took a lot of anthropology classes just because I found it interesting. I didn't even major in it or nothing. A lot of times I just took classes because I thought they'd be cool. You know what I'm saying? Anybody do that? Maybe, maybe not. I'm a little bit weirder than most. Anyway, they got into worship in these tribal religions. And what I noticed in these tribal religions is we would watch videos of these tribal religions worship. And they would teach that in worship, when we do things like we lift our hands, we sing songs. Well, they would do something similar to that. You know what they would do? They would wait and worship until the Spirit came and possessed them. 
This is before I was a Christian. I was like, my Lord, like you can open yourself up to stuff like that. You better believe you can open yourself up to stuff like that. A spirit wants to indwell you. Can I tell you that God's spirit is the one that is supposed to indwell you? And when we worship God, when we open our bodies to Him and we say, I offer myself to Him, I say, Lord, this is yours. This is your vessel. What I speak this morning, let it be an act of worship. I want nothing more than for your Spirit to come and fill me and use me and speak through me. And you possess this vessel and take control of it. That's what we want from God. But sometimes our, our body can get us into a pickle. We joke around sometimes, you know, like when we talk, we talk about how we used to be, me and Forrest will talk about it. We say, I'm just, I'm just trying to feel something. Just trying to feel something. Some of y'all may get that, some of you may not. If you've ever been a drug user, you know what I'm talking about. You're just trying to feel something. With our bodies, we crave physical comfort. We crave drunkenness. We crave a high. We crave sex. We crave pleasure. And when we pursue those things without understanding how they should function and operate according to God's design, it takes us into self-destructive habits. And this is why it says in Romans 12 verse 1 through 2, it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now what he's saying, he's saying in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that God loved you so much that he came and sent his son to die on the cross, to bleed for you so that you could have forgiveness of sins. And that not only that, but now the Holy Spirit himself could come and live and dwell on the inside of you and empower you to live not just a righteous life, but a holy life, pure before God. And now God would use you to bring transformation to the world. He said in light of how much God has loved you, he says the only thing that you could do in response is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice and say God take complete control and then renew your mind according to the word of God so that you can know what is the will of God and you can practice the will of God on a daily basis in your life this is what God's calling us to now in 1 Corinthians 6 it says this about our bodies verse 18 it says flee from sexual immorality notice this every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now it's interesting, just like we said in the beginning, we are spirit, soul, and body the same way you got an outer court, inner court, and holy of holies. But one of the things that Scripture deals with when it comes to our bodies, a matter of fact, whenever they talk about the works of the flesh, the sins that we commit, Paul brings three categories to all the works of the flesh. He says you're going to fall into one of these three categories, sexual sin, spiritual sin, or social sin. Basically, you're going to commit fornication, adultery, or you're going to enter into idolatry and witchcraft, or you're going to enter into like some hatred and jealousies and drunkenness and have social sin. But those are the three main categories. And so he says, when you are offering your body as a living sacrifice, one of the first things that you are going to do is you're going to say, God, I'm going to live according to your sexual requirements for my life. Everybody's like, man, it's getting weird in here, Clay. You ain't got to go out of that. The question that I most ask, especially by young people as a pastor, regularly, is, is Clay, what, when, you talk about, when you talk about celibacy or when you 
you talk about uh, sex, like, are you saying that we can't do any sexual thing before we get married? That's what people ask me all the time. And I'm going to tell you what the Bible teaches and what God showed me in Scripture and that He empowered me to do by the power of the Holy Spirit is that, yes, you are called to not have sex of any sort outside of the marriage of a covenant between a man and his wife. And outside of those boundaries... See, we believe that is a Christian belief and doctrine that has actually transcended thousands of years. And I understand that that is difficult, not just for people who, who, who may, who may in, in different vectors of society, young people, old people, people who may identify as gay or lesbian or whatever. Look, here's the thing. Every single human being has sexual lust and temptation. All of us. Whether there's a young man who's heterosexual in here that cannot stop looking at pornography or it's somebody who says, you know what, i got a same-sex attraction. Every single one of us have to submit our sexual desires to God and say, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to do it according to your design because it's not something that I, it's not, it's not what comes first in my life. Amen. Sex is a gift, but it must be submitted to the Word of God. And if you're willing to submit it to the Word of God, what happens is that God enables you because you consecrate it to Him. And you say, God, this is your body, not my own. I realize I was bought with a price and I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm supposed to flee sexual immorality. He sees that as a sacrifice and the fire of the Holy Spirit falls on that sacrifice and He empowers you to live a holy life. And then when God puts you in a position where He can give you that gift of sex, you will actually experience the greatest fulfillment and joy that He has to offer from it. So many people have destroyed their lives because they've went with whatever they feel when it comes to sex. They've destroyed their marriages. They've destroyed their homes. They've destroyed many relationships because they did not understand this aspect of offering them, their bodies to God. So we consecrate that to the Lord and we give that to Him. I know so many people and I, I know this. Let me tell you something. I don't like talking about this stuff, right? But the Holy Spirit tells me, Clay, you got to address this because you got so many people that have questions and are literally teetering on the fence as to whether or not they're going to give this aspect and this dimension of their life to me. And God says, if you will give that to Him, He will show you greater things than you've ever imagined if you're willing to lay that down to Him. So He's inviting you in. Romans 8, 13, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we offer our bodies to God, and He gives us the Holy Spirit to put to death the immoral deeds of the body. And this is why we enter into times of prayer and fasting, because I'm telling you something, if you can go a few days or a day or whatever regularly to say no to food and not eat and not feel uh, your cravings of your body, then all of a sudden what you tap into is the power of the Spirit, and you begin to exercise your will and control over the impulses of your physical cravings that would lead you into a dangerous place. Number two, it says, Consecration is a total surrender of my mind and will to God. See, we have to get to a place where we understand that we've got to renew our minds the way that we think. I know, let me tell you something. You come to Jesus, you got all kinds of arguments as to why the Word of God or even this preached message doesn't fit your life. When I come to the Scripture, I'm going to tell you something. I'm confronted over and over again, but what I don't do is say, you know what, I think I got this figured out for me a little bit better, Lord. 
No, I yield my mind to Him and I say, God, I want my mind renewed according to what Your truth is regardless of how I feel in this current situation because I know that Your truth is what will actually set me free. And if I play with it and try to create my own mindset as to what truth is, it's going to lead me into a path of death and destruction. So we renew our minds according to God's Word and we submit our emotions, we submit our will to Him. And we say, God, not my will, but Your will be done. So that being said, we've got a spirit that must be born again and strengthened. We've got a soul that must be renewed and restored. And we've got a body that must be brought into submission. Now, when we let our body and our soul run the show, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, y'all ever let your body and soul run the show? You just, you, you just going on physical appetites every day. You're going on wild and crazy emotions every day. However you feel, you let it blow you like, a, like just a, a tree in the wind. Just whichever way it goes. And we allow that. What, what Paul calls that, what the scripture teaches that, is there's this language for it called flesh or carnal. You ever heard that? That's what scripture teaches. And matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says it like this. He says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people or people that are led by the Spirit. He says, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He said, I filled you, I, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Now, you know, we speak about being human. Somebody even said that to me the other day. They got a little bit aggravated with me, and they said, well, you know, you're just human like the rest of us. I said, yeah, that's true. I am. I'm just human. I, I've got my faults and failures. But oftentimes, we use human as an excuse for our failures. We're just human. Paul uses it almost here as an insult to people who are supposed to be led and empowered by the Spirit. He says, you're simply behaving in a human way. He says, I've wanted to feed you strong meat. He said, but I'm still having to give, give you milk because you're not people of the Spirit. You're people of the flesh. And you know, want to know how I know? It's because there's strife and division and arguing and gossiping and quarreling among you. That's a hard word, isn't it? Like you say, you still got jealousies among you. You're still dealing with these issues. You're still gossiping about everybody around you. You're still getting angry and frustrated at people all the time. He said, you're still operating and functioning under the flesh. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you are a Christian. Yes, you are saved, but you've not grown spiritually into a place where you're being led by the Spirit. You're still being dominated and controlled by what your body tells you to do and what every wild emotion tells you to do. Somebody amen me this morning. Y'all, this is good, Clay. I appreciate this word. I'm encouraged. Amen. Amen. But here's the thing. This helps us, right? It helps me because I, I, I don't know about you. I need to be held in check by the Spirit of God. I need to know when I'm slipping into the flesh. I need to know when I'm, when I'm beginning to dabble in carnality once again. I'm going to let some old dudes help me preach again this morning. A.W. Pink, he said this. He said, the nature of Christ's salvation is woefully misrepresented by the present day evangelist. He announces a Savior from hell rather than a Savior from sin. And that is why so many are fatally deceived, for there are multitudes who wish to escape the lake of fire who have no desire to be delivered from their carnality and worldliness. A.W. Tozer said it like this. He said, if I see aright the cross of popular evangelicalism, 
is not the cross of the New Testament. It is rather a new bright ornament upon the bosom of a self-assured and carnal Christianity. The old cross slew men, the new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned, the new cross amuses. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh, the new cross encourages it. Go back a little bit older, Thomas Aquinas said this, Man cannot live without joy. Therefore, when he is deprived of true spiritual joy, it is necessary that he become addicted to carnal pleasures. You know what all these men are saying? All these men are saying that at the end of the day what happens is we move over into the flesh, we stop seeking God. We even think in the church that we can run it based on entertainment and programs and somehow reach people when in reality the only thing that's going to transform the human life is a raw encounter with who God truly is. How good I preach, how good our music is will not change a life. There's got to be desperation in the human soul that says, God, if you don't show up in our midst, no spirits will be convicted, no souls will be saved, no bodies will be healed, no lives will be transformed. And see, the cross of Jesus Christ does not come to entertain and amuse you. It comes to kill your old nature. It comes to put a death to who you used to be and raise you from the dead and not just save you from hell, but save you from the power of sin that has bound you your entire life. And God says, I want to give you something greater. And he says, here's the thing. If you don't press into God and the purity and the holiness of God because you don't find pleasure in spiritual things, it will because you desire joy so much, you'll be bound to going to carnal pleasures. So many of us were bound and addicted to carnal pleasures because we've not pushed in to the pleasure that only comes from the Spirit of God. Pleasure outside of God's purpose is destructive. Do you realize that? Sometimes people come to God, especially young people, they think God's just a killjoy. Like you get you, people in youth and they're just, I remember when I was a young person, like I get it. I remember when I was a young person, I went to like a Baptist church. They tried to get me to sign a card to be, to be celibate and not have sex to the marriage. You know what I did? I slid the card back to them. I said, I ain't got no plans for that. I know what joy is. I know God's trying to cramp my style. I've got stuff planned out. And it's hard to see those things because we are so baited in by the lust of the flesh. It's hard to foresee that God would actually make a design that would actually lead to ultimate joy because when you go into that headlong and you go into drunkenness and drugs and sex and you try all of it to the nth degree, what you find at the end of it is emptiness. You don't find true joy. At the end of it, it's deceptive. Satan brings these deceptive lies to us to try to bait us in to physical pleasures. And we don't understand the pleasure that comes from the spirit of alone. And pleasure outside of God's purpose is destructive. If God tells you to not do something, it's not because he's a killjoy. It's because he wants you to have ultimate joy. And it's hard to understand that. It's hard to understand that for people because we, we go based on what our body feels and we go based on what our emotions feel and, and what we think and what our new identity is based on how the world has shaped us and taught us and conformed us. And he's saying, no, 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 you, you can push that off and live a different lifestyle. You know, God's judgment, we talk about God's judgment and God's judgment's not based out of anger. You know, sometimes I make judgments about Naomi. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, when she drinks out of a mud puddle, I say, Naomi, get out of there. And I pull her out. Well, she takes a fit. Why? Because she wants to drink from the mud puddle. Is that not the human condition? God pulls us out and we throw a fit 
knowing that, hey, man, she could get an amoeba in her brain for all I know. Like, I don't, I don't know what happened. But when God puts his judgment on something, it is ultimately because he knows that he has a design that leads to your ultimate joy and human flourishing. And if he allows you to drink from that, it could destroy you. This is how God's judgment is aimed. So let me tell you this. I'm going to finish with three quick points. You don't start off strong in spirit. It's something you grow into. And you've got to commit to it. Luke 1.80, it talks about John the Baptist. It said, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. In Luke 2.40, it says about Jesus. And the child grew, and what did he do? He became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Both of those men entered into ministry at the age of 30. Both of them entered into ministry at the age of 30. And here's what I want you to understand is that our accomplishment and success in the kingdom is directly related to the strength of our spirit. I think that God doesn't really launch you into territory, at least He doesn't want to launch you into territory and, until He knows that you have the spiritual maturity to subdue that territory when you enter into it. Y'all understand what I'm saying this morning? Like there are certain things that God wants and has for you and He wants to advance you and He wants to put you into a position where you move the kingdom forward. But He knows that if He puts you in that position now, your spirit is not strong enough to maintain it and it could overwhelm you. It could crush you. I worry about this as a young minister. I told somebody the other day, I'm just 35 and I'm pretty dumb. Like, I, I, I wonder even if I should be in the position that I'm in. And I come to God and I say, God, I really, I need to be strengthened in spirit. I need wisdom from heaven because I don't know if I can maintain what you've given me. But see, God says if you pour yourself into something and you pour yourself into growing strong in spirit, then you will find wisdom from heaven to be able to do what God has called you to do. But you need to understand that you are what you eat. You are what you consume. I ended up, I didn't even mean to, sometimes I get loose, you know, and I ended up preaching about video games last week, y'all know what I'm saying? I didn't even mean to. It just happened. And, uh, but it turns out, you know, a young man came to me and he said, you know what, been gaming for years. He said, Lord really put his finger on it. He said, I sold it all. Again, I, I ain't telling you to sell all your video games. But I'm telling you, when God puts a finger on something that is becoming an idol in your life and it's consuming you, you are what you eat. You are what you consume through your eye gate, through your ear gate, through all the time that you spend. You become a product of the time that you spend. What you do, what you give yourself to. And so if I'm going to, to live this life, i got to understand that this world's trying to conform me. Y'all ever looked at commercials? I ain't watched a lot of commercials lately. Isn't a, TV don't happen a lot. I know whenever the Super Bowl comes around and everybody watches that, you're going to see some crazy commercials. There'll be half-naked women trying to sell you cheeseburgers. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Because advertisers work full-time to get you to make decisions based upon greed and lust and fear. That's all they're trying to do. But see, we don't make decisions based upon lust, greed, and fear, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We make decisions based upon the Word of God and the Spirit of God who is guiding us into truth. And so if I'm going to grow strong in spirit, number one, what I have to feed my spirit man is the Word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Hebrews 4.12 says it like this, For the Word of God is living and powerful. 
And it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. You see that? When the Word of God comes into your life, it's alive and it's powerful. And it's like a sword that pierces. What? Notice what it pierces. Between the soul and the spirit and even the joints and the marrow of your body. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So what's this mean? It means when I'm opening the Word of God, I need you to understand something. Like I've got... I've got an ESV study Bible. I've got commentaries. I, I'm, a, I'm a big student in the Word, man. I like to know what, what, what the author meant. I like to know what was going on in the culture. I like to know the false gods they worshipped. I like to know what they ate in the year 40 A.D. when Paul wrote his life. You know, I like to know all that stuff. And I read it, and I'm wanting, becoming a student of the Bible and what's being read. And I do that, but there's a place where I come to the Word, and now the God who authored the book over Paul and over Peter and all, over all these men, He's now using that book as a living book so that I'm not just reading it as a textbook, but now it's reading me, and like a sword, it's penetrating my heart. Like a sword, I open that book and all of a sudden it speaks life to me and it addresses issues in my heart that need to be cut away. I'm telling you, when you get alone with God, you open the scripture and you're looking for a word that confronts something in you. You're looking for a verse that comes off the page, that comes alive like never before, that speaks to you in that moment. I've got moments with God where I read a verse and I'd read it before, but all of a sudden it came off the page and it spoke directly to me. You need this kind of devotion with the Word. And when you get into the Word of God, you need, you need a couple of different types of, of Word. He said, I, I, up to this point, he said, I've only been able to feed you milk. He said, but I wanted to give you meat. Now, now milk is that Word that nourishes you. It comforts you. You know what I'm saying? Like, we post milk on our, on our mirrors in the bathroom. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and bring you peace and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That's the milk of the Word. We need it. We need to be soothed. We need to be encouraged. We need to be lifted up and strengthened. We need a Word from God. Matter of fact, on Wednesday nights, often what comes is the milk of the Word to soothe you and encourage you and strengthen you. But when you get along with God, you also need not just the milk, but you need the sword. You need the meat of the Word of God that confronts attitudes, that confronts emotions, that confronts lusts, that you will finally yield to the Lord. And sometimes the Word will confront you in such a way where honestly it, 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 it kills you and you just have to step into the sword. Amen. But you need the Word of God. On a, this is daily bread. It's not a book that you can just get into every so often and expect to grow strong in spirit. I say it all the time. I'm going to retire this quote after I say it right here. But Smith Wigglesworth, he said, Hey, how can you expect to live a victorious life in Christ and have a strong spirit when you feed your body three hot meals a day and you feed your spirit one cold snack a week? This is daily bread. Daily bread where the Word of God penetrates our being and we come into, a, into an encounter with Him. And I'm going to tell you something. The more you read God's Word, the more hungry you get. Number two is prayer. I need to take the Word of God, the Scripture, into a place where I'm still before the Lord. I'm silent before the Lord. I'm calm before the Lord. And I'm bringing my prayers before the Lord. And I want you to understand something. I'm being brief with this. But when you go into that secret place with God, 
few weeks ago we talked about that secret place where God sees in secret He will reward you openly. If you've not been there yet, you still need to get to the secret place. Find you a closet, find you a place to walk outside. You need to get alone with God where you can be silent and you can be still and you can open His Word and you can be, be before the Lord and allow Him to speak into your heart. But don't measure your prayer life so much by time as you do by presence. I like to pray and wait until I have something from the, where the Lord shows up. I like to pray until I know the Lord has deposited something into my spirit. You understand what I'm saying? My desires change in the presence of God. I may come to God with a laundry list of prayers. Anybody got their laundry list? I'm going to go through this, this, this. Bless mommy, bless daddy, bless... You know, like, I'm going to go through my list. People are going to pray like that. I get that. That's good. But there's also a point when I go into the presence of God... And all of a sudden, he gives me his prayer requests. That's when your spirit is fueled. I know you've got your prayer requests. You need to get to a place in God's presence where he gives you his prayer requests. And all of a sudden, your heart is warmed. I like what, what happens in Mark eleven twenty four. 24. It says, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. See, your desire changes in the presence of God. Whatever things you desire when you pray, you start praying, let me tell you something, your desires will change. And then you can pray God's desires and He says you'll know that you have them. This is why in Psalm 37, 4 it says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. You get in the secret place with God, and all of a sudden video games are no longer your delight, but the Lord is your delight. I don't know why I'm after video games, praise God. It could Put whatever in that spot, in that blank spot. And the Lord becomes your delight, He starts to give you His desires. And then you start to pray His desires, and you start to receive answer from prayer, for prayer, and your spirit is strengthened. Last one, number three, fellowship. If I'm going to grow strong in spirit and grow against the grain, I've got to be in the Word of God. I've got to develop prayer, but then I've got to have fellowship. And this is the exchange of life in the Lord. And let me say it like this. You need to have people in your life that are weaker than you in the Lord, and you need to have people in your life that are stronger than you in the Lord. One of them is pulling you up, and you're pulling somebody else up behind you. And you need people in your life. We're, we're getting ready to launch small groups again. And man, we've got some great small groups. But can I tell you that fellowship is often a sacrifice? I've told you all this before. If I had my druthers, I'd just be a hermit somewhere on a mountainside in the middle of nowhere. I don't like being around people that much. I, no, no, don't get me wrong. Don't take that wrong. I love you all. I love you all. But I, I get fueled from being alone. You know what I'm saying? So when I really engage with lots and lots of people, it's a sacrifice for me. Sometimes going to church for me was a sacrifice. Going to a small group with a bunch of weird people who may be talking about weird stuff, like that's a sacrifice for me. I know where you're at, but fellowship is a sacrifice. I've got to open my heart and be vulnerable and let people into my life and give them my burdens and enter into their life and take their burdens as well. I need confronted. I need men in my life that will say, Clay, you got a bad attitude. i got people that do that, believe it or not. And I need somebody that's going to speak into my life. Proverbs 27, 17, it says, Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A good friend will come to you and say, Man, you need to watch this in your life. You've been praying. You've been seeking the Lord. 
You've been in the word lately? What's this attitude? What's this struggle you got? And sometimes, man, you just need somebody to come along you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to give you a word in due season when you're down. And you've got to feed your spirit prayer. You've got to feed your spirit the word. And you've got to be in fellowship with godly people. Because a lot of people, I'm telling you, what actually leads them astray is the relationships that they enter into. You enter into a lot of relationships where people aren't on fire for God. They're not going after Jesus. They're complacent with Jesus. Slowly but surely, you find yourself slowing down as well. And you wonder how you got there. And God's saying, no, I need you to yoke up with some people that are burning and going in the direction after God. Can I tell you this too? When you enter into a relationship and fellowship with people, don't expect everybody to be on your level. There are people that are going to have sins that you don't struggle with. And you're not there to condemn them. You're there to lead them closer to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I needed a lot of grace in the beginning. It took me a while to shake off some heavy stuff. And there's still some issues that I'm dealing with. But you know what I ended up finding? Is I found friends that were on fire for the Lord that lent me grace whenever I was struggling. And took me by the hand and said, son, you can come with us. We'll give you a little bit of space. You can mess up some. It'll be all right. But you're going to come with us nonetheless. And when we have to, we're going to confront you with truth because we love you. And that's what we need in our lives in order to move forward. Here's my last verse and I'm done. Proverbs 20, 27, it says, The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. What you're going to notice is that if you pour yourself into growing strong spiritually this year, it's the lamp of the Lord. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. And when you grow spiritually, a light shines into the inner depths of your soul. And all of a sudden, things that you used to be able to do and be fine with, God shines a light on. And He says, that's a skeleton that we need to get out of this closet. I've exposed that. I've put my finger on that. And I need you to get rid of that. There's so many people, even myself included, we can live with all kinds of dark spots in our soul. But when we grow near to the Lord and spiritually we're growing stronger, all of a sudden God shines light into dark places that need to be dealt with. And He puts His finger on it and says, Son, I love you too much to allow that to remain in your soul. I need you to yield that to me. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. And maybe... Maybe you're here this morning and there's something that the Lord is asking you to, to yield to Him. It could just be that you're, it's time to yield your life to Jesus Christ above all things. And it could be that He's putting His finger on something specifically that, that He's just saying, I, I need you to consecrate this. If you will give this to me, I will show up with my spirit and I will bring freedom in that area. So, Lord, right now, we just pray in the mighty name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would move in hearts and move in minds. And, Lord Jesus, if there's anything, God, that you're asking us to lay down on the altar as a sacrifice before you, God, we just pray that you would expose that. You would shine your light into our hearts and say, give me that so that we could yield it, we could surrender it. And I believe, God, that when we offer that as a sacrifice, your fire comes to burn it up. And so, Jesus, we just ask you to do what only you can do. For people that don't know you, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give them the boldness to surrender their lives this morning, to confess you as Lord, and Lord, and Lord God, to begin to move in a relationship with you. But, Father, we give our whole hearts to you, and as we respond in worship and prayer, we just pray, God, that you speak to us, that you lead us in Jesus' mighty name.